It's always a challenge to figure out how fast or how slow should we travel through the scriptures. It's taken us about four, well, it's taken us exactly four weeks to get through chapter one of 1 Corinthians. Um, We're going to pick up the pace a little bit. This morning we're going to cover chapter two, and next week we'll probably cover chapter three. Um, But we're going to pick up a little, go a little faster here, and then we'll slow down as we get a little farther in as things go. And, you know, what I really use to make the decision is, is is there something I want to draw out application-wise? Is there something that I think is really important that I don't want to just skim over? And then sometimes Paul or the the author of the book will just use a whole lot of words to explain, you know, maybe one or two uh, important details, and we don't, and we can go a little quicker. So we're going to look at chapter two this morning. But if you remember, as we closed out chapter one last week, we saw the apostle Paul exhort the church in Corinth. Remember, the church was divided. There was division going on in the church. He exhorted them to do a number of things. Number one, he encouraged them to remember who they really are and where they really came from. And although they were impressed about worldly wisdom and philosophical debate, he, he showed them or reminded them they're just a group of ordinary people that God was using. They really, they really weren't anything special. And then Paul reminded them of what God had done through them. And he he reminded them that he has chosen the foolish things or the ordinary people to put to shame the wisdom of the world or put to shame the wise of the world. Then he went on to remind them to give God glory for their salvation. Their salvation was a result, was not a result of their their human insight or their philosophical wisdom or their deep thinking. It was a result of the wisdom of the cross of Christ and give God the glory for that. And lastly, what a beautiful section it ended with, Paul reminded them of who they are in Christ. He talked about their righteousness, their sanctification, and the fact that they were redeemed. And those are kind of some of the, some of the things that, that he reminded them of that were important for us to remember as we go into chapter 2. Again, remember, the church in Corinth is struggling with division. There, there's, there's division. There's little sects going on. They're, they're following different people. And he told us, or we saw that this is being caused by their emphasis on worldly wisdom instead of godly wisdom. They were focusing on the men that God was using rather than the God that was using the men. And they were impressed with oratory skills, with birth status, with financial status and social status. They were impressed with those pastors or teachers who could speak better or who were more eloquent or maybe they dressed cooler or whatever it was. And they were really focused on those things. And the people of Corinth had begun to associate with different men. And in that what they'd done is they'd kind of placed the cross of Christ in the background. So they became a man of Apollos or a man of Paul or a man of Peter. And, and the cross of Christ just was kind of fading into the background. It became all about who you were following, not who you were worshiping. And in a sense, they actually elevated the men of God, which created these sects in the church. And Paul's, he's rebuking them for it. Paul was reminding them that God called them not because of who they were, but in spite of who they were. And it's the same thing true with us. You know, we're, we're not called, you're not called to serve the Lord because you have so much to offer the Lord. You're called to serve the Lord in spite of that you have nothing to offer. That, that we really don't have anything that we can give him except our lives and our obedience. And he's reminding them of that. And as, he's, as we come into chapter two, <clears throat> he's trying to point them back to Christ and the godly wisdom that is rooted in the cross of Christ. And now as he opens up chapter two, he's gonna point to himself as a personal example. He's going to say, listen, when I came to you, this is how I came to you. When I, when I showed up in Corinth, this is the way that I came. This is the methods that I used to teach you. This is how I shared the gospel with you. So if you look with me at chapter 2, verse 1, Paul opens up with this very personal example of his own life. And what a blessing it is when a man of God can say, look how I did it and follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ, Paul would say. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech 
or wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Just a little bit of background, when Paul, left, when Paul came to Corinth, if you remember correctly, if you studied the book of Acts, he left from where? He just left from Athens. Paul was in Athens, Greece, now he's coming to Corinth. You can read about his arrival in Corinth in Acts chapter 18. You can re read about his time in Athens towards the end of Acts chapter 17. But let me summarize it for you. When Paul was in Athens, he went up to a place called Mars Hill. And it was a place where all the philosophical minds gathered. And his goal was to teach them about the Lord and to share the Lord with them. And he reasoned with them. He quoted from their poets. He discussed their philosophy. And he alluded to their culture. But at the end, when it was all said and done, there was very little fruit of salvation. Oh, there were a few, but there was very little fruit of salvation. Instead, he was mocked. And he was told to come back later and we might listen some more to you. Well, some pastors who have studied Paul's time in Athens have come to the conclusion that Paul never mentions the name of Jesus Christ there on Mars Hill. Oh, he approached them from a philosophical perspective, but he never actually mentions the cross of Christ. Although he does refer to the resurrection, they believe that Paul tried to be too philosophical. They believe that he came to them and argued with them on their level, and that might be the reason there was very little fruit of salvation. They go on to suggest that Paul learned from his mistakes that as he comes to Corinth, as he comes into Corinth, he was preaching only Jesus Christ and him crucified. Well, that argument, whether or not Paul's success in Athens was or was not, is for another time or another debate. Either way, whether his time in Athens was a failure or not, it really doesn't matter. What matters is Paul is reminding them of how he came to them. And when he came to Corinth, he says, listen, I came very simply. I came preaching the cross of Christ and nothing else. I didn't add to it. I didn't take away from it. I just simply laid out the message of Jesus Christ and simply as I could. Paul describes, he goes on here in chapter 2, he's going to describe his own methods of ministry. He talks about his simplicity of words. We're going to see his humble attitude and then he's going to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a good model, as we cover these first few verses in chapter 2, for you to remember and I to remember as we share the gospel with people that we come across in our daily lives. Paul didn't come as a philosopher. He didn't come as a traveling salesman with a product to peddle. He didn't come to argue creation and evolution. He didn't come to debate. He didn't want to make a debate to prove somebody wrong. Instead, he came relying and testifying of the cross and of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 2. Oh, I'm sorry, let's, let last part of verse 1. He came as a witness who was declaring the testimony of God. Paul says, this is my mission. I am going to be a witness. What does a witness do? They testify. What do they testify? Of the things that they're sure of, the things they know of, the positive things, the things that they know. Paul says, I'm just going to testify of the things of God. I'm not going to go too deep, although he was capable. I'm going to keep it simple. Paul was an educated man, and he certainly had the intelligence to debate and to use persuasive words and worldly wisdom. It wasn't like he couldn't. Sometimes people can't. Well, I, I just, I don't think like that. I don't know that many big words. I, I really, I, I, don't, I don't, it's not my, in, in my nature. That was Paul's nature. Paul could debate. He, he, was, he had a very deep understanding of godly wisdom. 
But he said, if you notice there in verse 2, he says, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul says, For I determined. This means he made a conscious decision to preach only Jesus Christ and him crucified. He limited his message. He didn't give them too much information. Sometimes you can hear somebody speak and they give you too much information about what they're talking about. And you go, stop, I can't take it anymore. You've overflowed my head, I'm done. That wasn't the way Paul did it. Paul didn't want to take away from the cross of Christ, so he only preached the cross of Christ. And he's reminding them of that. He wanted the people of Corinth to have a solid foundation. He wanted them to build upon the cross of Christ. Paul knew that they were Greek and he knew that the Greeks sought after wisdom, but he chose to not give them what the people wanted Instead, he gave them what they needed. They wanted wisdom. They wanted philosophical. They wanted him to be a high and lofty thinker. And Paul said, I'm not going to give you what you want. I'm going to give you what you need, which is salvation through the cross of Jesus Christ. Um, and, And the funny thing is there's more wisdom in that, but it's godly wisdom we learned last week than there is in altogether in the worldly wisdom. He said, but I'm not going to give you what you want. You want worldly wisdom, but you need godly wisdom. That's what I'm going to deliver to you. The message of the cross. The pastor who gives the people what they want and not what they need is like the parent who fails to properly train and teach their children. They grow up without the knowledge to navigate this world. They're impressed with worldly wisdom. They fail to even recognize godly wisdom. They don't even see the difference. They don't even realize. Hopefully the light bulbs are going off as we're studying through Corinth. There's another type of knowledge out there that goes beyond what the world can give. There's an understanding that goes deeper what the deepest thinking worldly earthly minds can comprehend or grasp onto it's godly wisdom if a pastor is not careful he can get in the way of the gospel instead of being a servant to the gospel you see the gospel needs to be on display it's the cross of christ it's the it's the what christ accomplished on the cross it's the forgiveness of sins it's the payment of penalty for our sins it's the resurrection that proves that the sacrifice was accepted that needs to be on display in in the message in the church sure we're going to talk about other things but that needs to be our focus and sometimes that gets pushed into the background sometimes it gets pushed behind if we're not careful we can block out the cross with too many words we can block out the cross with too many compelling arguments or too many entertaining messages we have to keep the cross on display simply put if you argue somebody into the kingdom someone else smarter than you is going to come right along and argue them right out of it their 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 decision to follow christ is based on worldly wisdom not the faith in jesus christ if you just put forth a good argument and you go you watch a debate well i think he won that's who i'm going to follow that's a decision based on worldly wisdom to get the godly wisdom it's tied to faith when you share the gospel let's look at Paul's example look how he did it number one his attitude he was humble look at verse three I was with you in weakness in fear and in much trembling well why was he so weak why was he so scared why was he why are you so scared Paul what's the problem and there's a number of answers but we don't really know which one it is it could have been because of the philosophers in Athens it could have been because of what took place in Athens he's just he it didn't go the way he thought it would go and now he's crushed when I thought everybody on Mars Hill was going to come to Christ that's one possibility it could be because he's suffering with a physical illness it could be the looming persecution that's that's coming from the Roman Empire it could be any number of things but whatever the reason is it shows us this his dependence was on the Lord and not on his own knowledge or his own ability or his own vocabulary or his own words He was not brimming with confidence in his own ability to share the gospel. He simply said, I'm going to rely on the Lord to share the gospel. Oh, that's what we need to remember too. 
Humbly share the gospel with your reliance on the Lord. That's where it needs to be. When you share the gospel in confidence, is your confidence in yourself? Is it in your ability to persuade somebody? Is it in your ability to make an argument? Can you prove to somebody very, that, that creation over evolution? That doesn't get them saved. You might get someone to agree with you. Yes, creation is right. Evolution is wrong. It doesn't make any sense. Or they might even say, yes, they're both theories, but that doesn't save them. It just simply means they agree with you or you out-argued them or you out-debated them. The gospel is what needs to be presented, not our argument or our debate. Years ago, maybe some of you remember it, there was a program, it was called Evangelism Explosion. Did, did it make its way up here in, in this area or not? It was, it was Dr. Kennedy out of, uh, out of uh, First Presbyterian down in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. He wrote a book and it was kind of a, they were doing training classes on, in churches and churches were putting on training classes, how to evangelize. And the program was called Evangelism Explosion. And Rebecca went to the class. And she, she, wanted to, she was a, a young believer, and she wanted to learn how to evangelize. And she wanted to, you know, give, she wanted to be equipped to do this. So she goes to the class. And I didn't go to the class. I, I was working, or I probably would have went with her. I was working some crazy hours back then. So Rebecca goes to the class to learn. And she would come home, and she would tell me what she was learning. And they had it all scripted. It was all laid out. You had, this, this is your introduction question. This is your follow-up question. This is what they might ask. And it was, all, it was all scripted out there for them. And as I listened to her, I realized this is nothing more than a, a scripted, elaborate sales pitch. It's nothing more than you're going to outsmart them and because you've already thought of their questions. It's what the Mormons or the Jehovah Witnesses do when they go. They have a scripted script that they're following and they, they, they expect certain questions back, but it's just, it's just a sales pitch, if you will. I thought, man, how, sorry, how sad is that? I was reading a book one time and it was, it was by a, it was Bill Heibel. It was called A Walk Across the Room. And it was talking about how to share the gospel, how to share Christ. And I was sitting on an airplane. I was flying from Florida to Tennessee. And I'm reading this book. As I'm, and I'm, my, it was a, uh, I think my dad had given it to me. So the, the church he was going to at the time was, was saying, hey, you've got to read this book. It's about, you know, learn how to take a walk across the room and meet people. And I'm reading the book. And I'm reading the book. And I don't know. I'm partway through the book. And I just feel the Lord say, put the book down and go do it. It's, it's not that hard. You don't need a, you don't need a script. You don't need a, a book. You just, just go do it. And I thought, all right. Bam, I closed that book up, put it in the seat back in front of me. I started talking to the guy across the aisle. So we started sharing in a conversation. He was talking about football, so I jumped in. We were talking about football. And uh, as, we keep, as we got going and we, the conversation kept going, we're going back and forth. It was about an hour and a half, two-hour two hour flight. We walked off that airplane. I turned it in the middle of the conversation to Christ, to the Bible, to Scripture. I wasn't a pastor. I was still doing police work. This, is, this was in, it was 2000 and, it was seven, 2007, it was a year before I came up here. So it was 2007, I walked off that airplane and led him to a prayer to accept Christ. I wrote it in the front of my Bible, his name was Chris. I was flying on the airplane to Knoxville, uh, August 23rd, 2007. I still pray for Chris. I don't know what happened to him, I don't have a contact number with him. But it, it was, I didn't need a program to share Christ, I just needed to go share the gospel and the good news. And I did it through relationship with him. I talked to him. I, I shared it with him. And he went on to accept Christ. And he went on to his life. And he was having some marital problems we talked about. And I went on to his. And the Lord's like, just put the book down and go do it. You know, so often we get caught up in a process. We need a, we need a script to follow. It's good to know how to share the gospel. We need to know how to do that. It's good to know what to say. And our, but our confidence needs to be in the Lord. Not in a script or in a, a pre-written thing or in our own ability. When the Lord puts you in the situation to minister, he's going to give you the words as long as you're willing to speak them. Now, sometimes he puts us in the situation to share the gospel, and what do we do? I don't want to talk. I'm kind of nervous. 
What if they think I'm weird? What if they think that, what if they think that's, what if they, what if they don't believe? What if they laugh at me? What if, so what? You don't know the person. I was on an airplane. What could he say? I never, I never saw the guy again anyways, but instead I got to write his name in the front of my Bible. I led him to Christ and I still pray for him. It's there. August of 2007. But if you don't share the gospel when the Lord prompts you to, you know who loses out? You do. You do. Not the person that you're supposed to share with. They're going to they're get saved anyways. They're, God's still working in their life. You miss out on the blessing of leading someone to Christ or ministering to them. And it might not always be praying a prayer of salvation. It might just be giving them the word of encouragement that they need. It might just be giving them a Bible verse that they need to, to go on. Maybe their life is, is, is difficult. I mean, take a look around. If you were to go deep into your lives, we could probably all find things that we're struggling with. There's difficulties in our lives, in our marriages, in our families. It's, it's all there. And for someone to come up and share a word from the Lord like that would be amazing. A Bible verse. But we have to be willing. You know, see, what I've found is usually it's my actions and my attitude that's going to say all they need to hear. That's what's really going to speak to them first. How are you acting? What's your attitude? You see, I can't have the attitude of the world and I can't follow the actions of the world and then turn around and share the gospel. It doesn't work that way. I have to be different than the world. I have to stand out. I have to be a different... Uh, my life has to look different. Secondly, notice the words that Paul used. Verse 4. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. It says Paul did not use persuasive words of human wisdom. What does that mean? It means he did not play on their emotions. He didn't work up the crowd. He didn't try to bring them to a do or die situation. He didn't use big or fancy or theological words. He used simple and plain language. Well, they won't, they won't understand. It'll be too simple. It'll be too easy. I have to use harder words. No. Paul preached the cross and he let the spirit demonstrate the power of the cross. You see, you just preach the message. You just share the words. Let the Spirit show the people the power in those words. Let the Lord do His part. Use plain language. Too often people are impressed with the delivery of the message and the messenger, and they completely miss the message. Oh, what a good argument. How well-crafted that debate is. Oh, the, he or she's so smart and they're so wise. No, no, you're missing the message. You're drawing attention somewhere else besides the cross. If they're looking at you, they're looking at your intelligence, they think, wow, they, they must really be smart to use those big you know, seven and eight letter words. I, I don't know too many of those. You've lost them. The focus needs to be on the cross. Paul's preaching may not have been impressive or persuasive on a human level, but we know on a spiritual level, it had power. It had power. Simple words meshed with the power of the Holy Spirit makes for a powerful message that God wants his people to hear. Why is it so important this way? Notice what it says. So that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but where? In the power of God. The power of God. If you share the gospel with a powerful, convicting, and emotional argument, you can get people to pray the prayer. You can talk anybody into it. You can stop them on the street. They'll pray it just so you'll leave them alone. <laughs> All right, fine, I'll pray the prayer. Just go away. If you can do that. But are they really choosing to follow Christ? Are they really believing? Are they really making a decision to live their life for Christ? What if they just believe in the logic of your argument? 
Oh, they can look at your argument and go, yeah, that, that, that makes sense to me. I, I believe in the logic of your argument. No, you need to believe in Christ. You need to believe that he died for you. When you share the gospel plain and simply, and the power comes from the Holy Spirit, when he's the one that gives the words the power, not you, when the power, then they're choosing to follow the Lord, not because of your words, not because of your argument, but because the power the powerful work of the Holy Spirit is working inside of them. Do you know there's one thing that you can always assume when you go to share the gospel with somebody? You can assume this, right? Long before you ever talk about the cross with someone, long before you ever talk about, about their sin, you can be confident the Holy Spirit is convicting them of their sin. Well, how do I know that? Because the Bible tells us, John 16, 8 tells us, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin because they do not believe in Jesus Christ. They might not admit it, they might not reject, they might be rejecting it, they might not want to hear it, but you can be confident that they are being convicted of their sins. Think about you, before you got saved. Were you being convicted of your sins? Absolutely you were. I was. That's what draws us to Christ. That's what, that's what keeps us going. That's what helps us mature and stop doing those things. We keep getting convicted of our sins, don't we? That's, that's what happens. So you can be sure they're getting convicted. And if you happen to share the gospel in a group of people, and the one that lashes out the loudest, they're the one that's being convicted the most. Usually, the old saying goes, you throw a stick into a pack of dogs. How do you know which one you hit? The one that yelps. It's the same way with the gospel. You throw it into a group of people. The one that is most standing most against you, the most wants to argue, they're the one that are being convicted the most. Don't back down from them. Share the gospel in love. Don't argue with them because you're just, you might win the argument, but you haven't led the soul to Jesus Christ. And that needs to be our focus. Preaching strategies that are centered on wisdom of men, they can be centered around emotion, entertainment, human personality, they might yield a response. They might. They could bring a, yield a big response, but not necessarily results for the kingdom of God. I've watched many, many people go walk up and get salvation, whether it be at a Greg Laurie event or a Billy Graham Promise Keepers or, or even in large megachurches, people coming up every week getting saved. You just scratch your head and go, are they really getting saved? And the people, that are, the pastors would go, yes, we need to do that. And I'm, and I'm all for sharing the gospel and giving people a chance to accept Christ. But I have to wonder, and I've heard some messages where I was saved and wanted to go up and give my life again because I felt so bad about it or because I was moved so emotionally. Don't move people emotionally. Let the Spirit do that work in them. Just you share the, you share the method. You share the roadway. You share the path with them and let the God do the work. Let the Lord do the work in their heart. Many people use slick, entertaining, or even deceptive means to lure people into the church. They, churches do all kinds of things to get people in. They'll play headline bands and secular music, and they justify it by saying, we just want to draw them in, and then winning them to Jesus. That's our goal. We just want to draw them in. We'll bring them in for whatever. How, it doesn't matter how we get them here. But the principle is this. What you draw them with is what you draw them to. Think about that. What you draw them with is what you draw them to. If we were to have a worship team and they were to play, you know, Stairway to Heaven and all kinds of secular songs and all kinds of things that would probably go back in all our past. And people, oh, that's pretty cool. The church is playing some secular music. That's what, you're, that's what they're attracted to. We don't want people in church that are attracted to that. We want people in church that are attracted to Jesus Christ and to the Word of God. The church should be different. We shouldn't look like the rest of the world. You should come to church. If someone doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, they should get tired of sitting here and tired of hearing it and leave. They shouldn't be comfortable sitting in their sin. You shouldn't be comfortable in your sin. You should come to church and go, wow, man, I've got to grow here. I've got to change here. There's things that God's working on. Praise the Lord that he's doing these things in me. You see, what you draw them with is what you'll draw them to. 
Helena Modeski was a famous actress at the turn of the last century. Famous actress. Late 1800s, early 1900s. Once at a party, she was asked to perform. She presented an amazing oratory in her native tongue of Polish. Amazing message. The crowd was riveted to each word. Her presentation was powerful, emotional, soul-stirring. It was later that Modeski revealed all she had done was recite the alphabet in Polish. That's all she did was recite the alphabet in Polish. There are preachers who impress with their Polish but don't really say anything. Think about that. I could impress somebody with speech but never really say a message. You could sit in a church and go, wow, it's emotional, it's moving, it's entertaining. What did he really say? I don't know, I can't remember. That's why we open our Bibles. That's why we don't have Bibles verses on the screen. People say, why don't you put the Bible verse on the screen? I want you to see it in here. I want you to underline it in here. I want you to read it in here. And I want you to, if you, if you write in your Bible, I want you to make notes in here. Because after you leave here, you're going to forget everything I said about that Bible verse, but you're not going to forget where it's at. And you're not going to forget those highlights or those points. And you can go back and go, I remember this. I remember that. And, you, and your little notes will be there. You can go back and revisit it. When you write notes, I found out, I used to write notes on a piece of paper. You know what I did with them when I got home? I stuck them in a drawer. You know what happened after a while? The drawer got full. You know what I did with them after the drawer got full? I threw them away. Because now they were full and I wasn't going to go through them and all organize them. So then I realized, you know what? It's better for me to take less notes. This is just for me. It was better to take less notes, more powerful notes, and put them in my Bible. Because that way I can go visit them whenever I need them. And then I open up to a scripture. Oh, I see what that word means. I see what that says. Oh, I remember that. It helps me remember easier. Now, let's shift gears for a minute. It's not as if the cross of Christ lacks wisdom. It's just not worldly wisdom. It's a different kind of wisdom. It's spiritual wisdom. Look at verse 6. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would, have, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The word mature there means just what you think. It means all grown up. Some people believe that Paul is talking about new believers versus mature believers. Others believe Paul is talking about the saved versus the unsaved. Either way, he's speaking the wisdom of God in a mystery. Now, the word mystery. If, you, if you've been in my studies for a while, you already know this, but it points out, it, it bears repeating. The word mystery, the Greek word there is mysterian. And it's important that you understand this because it'll change the way you see the scripture. When you think of a mystery, what do you think of? Something that's unknown. Who, who done it? Who did it? What's the, there's a mystery. I don't know what this is. That's not what the Greek word mysterian means. It's translated mystery. What the Greek word mysterian means is this. It's, it is referring to something that was previously unknown, but now has been made known with divine intervention. So it's something that was once unknown that has now been made known through divine intervention, through, through the Lord or through spiritual wisdom, Paul would say. So when Paul refers to a mystery, he's not saying we don't know. He's saying we didn't know, but now we do know. It's important when you start studying the scriptures. Paul refers to it 21 times that way. It'll be refer- Paul refers to mystery 21 times, and each time it refers to it this, not which was, that which was previously unknown that has now become known. 
And it usually has an uh, indicated of divine intervention or a supernatural element as well. Paul simply saying the mature believers recognize the wisdom of God, but the rulers of this age, they don't. They don't see it. Why did they fail to recognize God's wisdom? Because it came in a mystery. Because it wasn't, it, 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 there's a mystery there. It's a sacred secret that could only be known by revelation. That's what he's saying. It is the hidden wisdom that is now revealed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That which we didn't know, now we know because of the cross. That's what Paul's setting us up for. That's the mystery that he's going to talk about. It's, the, it's, what, it's by the gospel of Jesus Christ which Paul is preaching. He says, if the rulers of this age had known, if they had known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. The Lord of glory. And in verse 9 it says, but as it is written... Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Paul paraphrases Isaiah 64.4 to remind us that God's wisdom and his plan is past us finding out on your own. It's, it's, you can't get it except through God, except through Christ. God, the only way that you can get what God really has prepared for you has to come through Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. Now, when it says there, the things which God has prepared for those who love him, many people think this is referring to heaven, and you often hear it quoted at funerals, that it's something that's coming in the future. But I don't think that's what Paul's talking about here. I think it certainly could apply that. Yes, it's true, we can't comprehend the things of heaven, but it seems to me that Paul here is talking about our current life in Jesus Christ, about once we get saved, once we choose to follow Christ. He has glorious blessings prepared for us right now. Not, not, not all future. There's right now there's blessings prepared for us. What you've experienced to this point in your life pales in comparison to the things that God has for you just around the corner. Think about that. If you'll keep walking in the Spirit, if you'll keep following the Spirit, what you've experienced to this point in your salvation is nothing compared to what's coming. And it's only going to get greater when you step out of this world and you meet Him face to face. You see, oftentimes we live the Christian life defeated. We think there's, ah, it's just, it's just I'm, I'm, I'm picking up my cross, I'm carrying my burden. No, no, there's blessings available to us right now. We don't have to live defeated. We, we have the ability to overcome sin. We have the ability to walk in the Spirit. We have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead available to us today. The question is, are we using it? Adam Clark put it this way. He said, these words have been applied to the state of glory in a future world but certainly they belong to the present state and express merely the wondrous light, life, and liberty which the gospel communicates to them that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. My life in Christ is far better than it was before I knew Christ. It's far better. I, I don't, I don't want to go back. There's nothing in me that wants... There's a part of me, sometimes Satan will tempt me with something from the past, but when you stop and you look and go, what does that really entail? I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want to go back to what I was before I, before I followed Christ. I have no interest in that. I know where that leads. I know what that does. I know what that brings. So let me see if I can sum it up for you. Before the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, God's people had a vague understanding of the glory of his work and what it would do for them. They didn't really understand. It was kind of, they were trying to figure it all out. But they really did not nor could not fully understand it ahead of time. For all the wisdom of the world, Paul's going deep here. He's saying the cross has godly wisdom 
And it brings about a mystery, that which was unknown that now becomes known and what it brings available to the people. So how come we can understand it now? Look at verse 10. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit teaches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which is man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Our wisdom comes from the Spirit of God and not from the Spirit of the world. That's for the believer. Notice what it says. We have received. Not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. For the guys who, work, who go to the monthly discipleship, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Here's another little key. We've been studying the Holy Spirit in John. Right here, we see it in 1 Corinthians. Paul's talking about the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit, and we also see the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom. Gives us wisdom to understand the things of God. Now, it doesn't mean, and he's not saying there that every believer has this equal amount of spiritual wisdom. He's not saying that at all. And it doesn't mean that we'll understand all spiritual mysteries. There's things that you come across in the Bible and you scratch your head and go, I just don't get it. I don't understand it. He's not, he's not saying that that might not be given to you or to I. That might be given to somebody else. Paul has an amazing understanding given to him. It doesn't mean, but what it does mean is every believer can understand the basics of the Christian message, salvation, which is otherwise unattainable. And it's undesirable, in fact. Why would, if, you, if you're not, a, as a believer, the moment you have faith, the, your understanding is opened. Before you have the faith, there's no understanding. It's not even desired. Why do I want that? It's foolishness, Paul would say. But to the believer, we can understand those things. Listen, when you believe on Jesus Christ as your Savior, you receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and indwells you, and he lives inside of you. Why? So that you may know the things that have been given to you by God. That's what he's saying. So you may understand what's been given to you by God. But we should also speak those things to others. We should also share those things. Not with man's wisdom, Paul would say, but with the wisdom of God. Now, on the other hand, look at verse 14. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The natural man. Who's the natural man? That's the unsaved man. That's the man who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, the man or the woman. The natural man doesn't want the things of God, and they can't understand the things of God. It's why it doesn't make any sense to them. The things of God can only be spiritually discerned, and it has to begin with faith. Have you ever spoke to someone about evolution versus creation? And for the believer, evolution, ma- I mean, evolution. creation makes so much sense. It's just, it, it fits together. We study the scriptures, we see it fits perfectly. And the, the non-believer goes, uh-uh, evolution makes more sense. We go, no, no, you don't, you don't see all the holes in your argument. No, no, they don't have the spiritual understanding. That has to begin with faith. You can argue till you're blue in the face, and you know what's going to happen? Whoever's the better debater is going to win. But then you know what will happen? Pretty soon someone's going to come along that's a better debater than you. 
And then someone will come along that's a better debater than them. And you go back and forth. When you put the two smart people up on the stage together that have all the degrees behind their names, you know what they come to? I'm a Christian, you're not. I can't, I, he doesn't, he does, is a non-believer, doesn't understand why the believer believes this. You can't expect him to understand because his eyes are not open to the spiritual wisdom and the things of God. It just works that way. That's why the simple people can go, look, it makes so much sense. I don't have to have a PhD behind my name to go, yeah, Jesus died on the cross to forgive me for my sins. I'm experiencing it in my life. That's what testifies the most. You can say whatever you want. You can argue whatever you want. But I know the day I got saved, when I gave my life to Christ, my life changed forever. So did yours if you've given your life to Christ. It changes you. and you can't, I don't need a degree to tell me that. It doesn't work that way. But here's the problem. There are many Christians who are thinking like natural men. They don't tap into the spiritual wisdom that's available to them. They, discern, they fail to discern things on the spiritual level from the spiritual perspective. When it comes to making a decision, they list out the pros and cons and go with the most obvious. They never pray. They never fast. They never seek the Lord's spiritual wisdom. It's just the most obvious, the most worldly decision there is. Oftentimes we run to counselors and doctors and psychiatrists and we look to medication to, to medicate us and many other worldly things and we never look at God or seek the spiritual wisdom. God, what would you have us do? And please, I'm not putting down any of those things. Medication is needed, doctors are needed, psychiatrists are needed. Those all serve good purposes in our community and they're needed. But oftentimes I wonder if the believer runs to them too quickly. Perhaps the Lord says, I want to show you something or do something in you. Maybe I'll use the doctor or the psychiatrist in you. There are people who need medication. I'm not saying don't take medication at all. Please don't think that. But what I'm saying is, if you are struggling with any of those things, if you're struggling with decisions or illness, would you please spend some time seeking the Lord for a spiritual wisdom on what to do next? It may be that he leads you to a certain psychiatrist or a certain doctor or a specific place that can help you or a specific medication that can help you with what you need. It has to work. It can work together is what I'm saying. But you can't neglect the spiritual side of things and then just expect it to all work out spiritually. You have to go to the Lord and say, Lord, what is it that you're doing here? What is it that you're, you're doing in my life? Are you teaching me? Are you training me? Are you showing me? What is it? Let me say it another way, real simply. God is broadcasting amazing, amazing things for your spiritual eyes to see. But you've got to be tuned to the right channel. Think about that. If, you are, if your thinking revolves around material concerns, if you're thinking merely on a physical level, you won't be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to show you. God's stuff is communicated through God's Spirit. We need to be spiritually minded people in Christ. You see, the most tragic part of that is there's Christians who only seek worldly wisdom. And they never tap into the spiritual wisdom that's available to them. Trust me when I tell you the Lord wants to lead you and guide you and direct you in all of his ways. He will use the worldly things in your life. But he wants to be the one that's leading you. He will do those things. He will, you know, I'm not anti-doctor and, you know, Jesus heal me or I'm going to die. No, let go to the Lord, see what he wants. He'll lead you to the right doctors for the right treatments and the right medical things. He'll, he'll do those things. But what happens when we fail to go to him at all? And we just follow our own steps, our own path then we're cutting, a, we're cutting out that spiritual insight that we have a chance to get. I don't know about you, but that's a sad thing for me. I want what God wants me to do. Not just what the world would say is obvious or what makes the most sense. 
Look at verse 15 and 16. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Paul's not saying that every Christian is above criticism. After all, what's he writing this letter about? He's, in a sense, criticizing the church in Corinth. So he's not saying that as Christians we're, 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 above any sort of criti- any, we're above any sort of criticism. The point is clear. He's saying there is no natural, unsaved, or unregenerate man who is equipped to judge a spiritual man. They don't think on the same level. They're not thinking on the same plane. They don't see things the same way. Since a spiritual person navigates to resources unavailable to the natural person. You, as a believer, have the Holy Spirit to navigate your life. The unbeliever doesn't have that. They can't look and go, Lord, I'm sick. What do I do? They go to the doctor, and they rely on solely what the doctor says. The, the unbeliever has no, they have no, nothing to navigate their life except their own wisdom and their own logic. And whatever counsel they receive. How tragic. But the believer, we can go to the Lord. We can go to his word and say, Lord, i got a tough situation. My job. My career my family, my kids. I need, I need help, Lord. How do I do it? Would you help me navigate through it? That's not available to the, to the world outside of Christ. But we can go to the Word of God and we can go to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, would you teach me? Would you show me? We can sing, it is well with our soul. The unbelieving man cannot do that. They don't know if it's well with their soul. They don't know what's going to happen. And just because they believe something's going to happen doesn't make it true. Let's close with this thought. He says there at the end of verse 16, we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. We have the ability to, th- we have the ability to think like Christ did. The same spirit is with us that was with him. We don't have to turn off our mind and, under, and enter in some sort of meditative trance and chant to hear from the Holy Spirit. Don't think that for a moment. It's they work together. They come together. God gave you a mind, and his, in, his Holy Spirit is what enlightens our intellect. People say, oh, you've you got to turn off your mind to believe that religious nonsense. No, no, no. No, no. Our mind is enhanced when we bring the Spirit into our life. It's enhanced. Through the Holy Spirit, we can be exposed to God's thoughts, is what he's saying. We can understand what God thinks about a situation. That's so impressed upon us by the Holy Spirit. But in order to do that, you've got to get alone with God. You've got to spend time with God quietly. You have to turn off your phone, turn off your iPod and your radio, and turn off all that stuff sometimes and just sit with you and your Bible. Turn off your, your, your what do you call this thing, an iPad. Great, great, great tool, but you know what happens when I read my Bible on my iPad? My email dings, or a text message comes in, or I start questioning something, I want to look something up on the Internet. The best place to get alone with God is with your Bible, a book in your hand, out quiet somewhere. I like to go into the woods somewhere where it's quiet. That's just me. It can be anywhere. But for me, I like to be quiet. I like to be where there's no cell phone coverage. That's where I need to go sometimes to hear from the Lord. We have the ability to face our problems with God's wisdom. That's what Paul's saying. The world doesn't have that. They don't have that. Just because God's wisdom is available to you as a believer doesn't mean you're using it. Are you tapping into the spiritual wisdom and discernment of the Lord? Or are you to this point simply relying on worldly wisdom, worldly logic, human wisdom? 
If you're filling your mind with worldly wisdom and worldly things, you won't be able to discern things spiritually. Paul would say that these two things are contrary to one another. They're contrary. And I don't know about you, but I want what God has for me. I want the wisdom that comes from above, not the wisdom that comes from the world. He's already put to foolishness the wisdom of the world and said, what has it really done for us? But the wisdom that comes from above, that has the ability to change our lives. That has the ability to teach us and to train us and to navigate us. He's given us his word. The Holy Spirit will minister to you in that way. So I would challenge you this morning to ask yourself this question. Am I relying on the wisdom of the world in my life? Or do I seek the wisdom that is from above? Am I an unbelieving person that needs to come to Christ? Please, make that decision. Choose to follow Christ. Or am I a believer who's just relying on the wisdom of the world? I've never really tapped in. I don't really understand what you mean. What do you mean by tapping into the spiritual wisdom? I'm going to challenge you to do two things, two practical things. Number one, spend some time alone, in prayer, on your face, before the Lord. Get down on your knees, get down on your face, whatever you need to do, by yourself somewhere, and just pray. Ask the Lord about tell, Talk to him like he's sitting in the room with you about your situation or about your problem, about your decision. Tell him what's going on in your life. Tell him how you're feeling. Tell him all those things. And watch that he doesn't meet you there. Number two, open up your Bible. Set aside a time and say, Lord, I want to meet with you. I need to hear from you. I can't tell you how many times in my life the Lord has met me on the pages of Scripture to teach me what I need to know. How many times I'm preparing, I'm convinced the only reason I'm a pastor is because I need to hear from him. And I wouldn't be in the Bible as much as I was if I wasn't teaching the Bible. I'm convinced that's what he's done to me. Because now I've got to teach two messages a week, so I get, I'm in the Bible learning for the two messages. You know who he's talking to the most? Me. I'm the one that he's teaching. I'm going, oh, you've got to be kidding me. I never knew that. Now you're, it makes so much sense to me. He's sharing, sharing with me and teaching me. And I get to share it with you guys. It's amazing how I can go through areas of scripture I've taught before, and all of a sudden I see something brand new. Because there's something else going on in my life. There's something else he wants to show me. We do it with our men's study. Guys get together. It's three chapters. This, this month it's three chapters. And, and all the guys will have different things. The Lord showed them something different in there. The Lord showed me this. He used this verse. He used that verse. It's amazing. He meets us right where we are. That's how you get the spiritual wisdom that comes from above. Are you tapping into it? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that that wisdom is available to us. But Lord, I also wonder, are we using it? Lord, I don't even know that in my own life I can say I'm tapping into it as much as I should. But Lord, I want to. I, wanna, I, wanna, I want that spiritual wisdom, that spiritual discernment in my life that only comes from you. Lord, I believe, just as Paul's shown us, that the wisdom of the world is foolishness, that your wisdom is so much greater. So Lord, just I pray for each person here, would we be able to fully access that wisdom? Lord, may we not rely on the world, but may we take the wisdom of the Lord and apply it to the world. May we not shut off our mind. May you enhance our intellect as we come to you and we discern answers and guidance from you. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Through your word, would you just minister to us in a way that we can't even expect the world to understand. Lord, when we say those words, God has shown me, or God has told me, or God has instructed me, we know that those unbelievers in our lives, they can't understand that. But yet a believer is right there with us. They too have been instructed and shown and directed by you. So Lord, would you direct all of our steps in your way, through your will. In Jesus' name, amen.